Just open them up. We're not going to use them. Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 18. We're going to start there. We're going to look at first lessons from a tea bag. How many of you guys drink tea? Hot tea. Amen, right? Real tea. Um, I love, I love, from being Alabama, I know the sweet tea. Drink that nice, sweet, cold tea. I like that too. I like that too. Um, But the hot tea, there's nothing like hot tea. There's nothing like peppermint. Amen. Hot tea. That's the, the real stuff. Um, but it's, you know, I've had different kinds of teas. There's a, a mate cocido in Argentina. It's a relaxing stuff that you can have. Um, and actually you feel really good after drinking it. I don't know what's in the tea bag, um, but, um, <laughs> what's ever in there, you feel great. Um, it's a, it's an Argentine kind of a tea that really helps the body. And, um, I mean, you look at certain things, but, you know, we can learn a lot about, about a tea, from a tea bag. You know, when you put a tea bag into a cup with no water, that does nothing. But the moment you put the hot water into the tea, into the cup, all of a sudden, whatever is in that tea bag comes out and creates the, the flavor and everything. Now, the hot water, doesn't actually create things. The hot water just activates it and brings it out. And the same is true with our hearts. When the pressure is on, and the pre- and it's not the pressure's fault, but when the pressure is on, all of a sudden our hearts get activated and things come out of our heart. And we learn who we really are. Sometimes they're good things. You see somebody hurt, all of a sudden the pressure's on, the heart, you feel it, and you go and help that person. That's a good thing. Sometimes they don't always look that good. You're in traffic. The guy cuts you off. There's the pressure. The hot water. The tea bag is activated. What comes out? (laughs) Who are you? Learn how to drive! Oh, that's someone that goes to my church. Hey! <laughs> how are ya? <laughs> Kids are crying all night. You're trying to get some sleep. You're watching a beautiful game. The Yankees are winning. They're winning eight straight, amen? The kids are singing. And they're enjoying their songs. You can't hear the game. The hot water, the heart starts to come. All of a sudden, it's activated, and boom, things come out. Really, the hot water sometimes shows us in our hearts how unchristlike we are. And so we can learn a lot from a tea bag, but we can't blame the hot water. We have to look at the hot heart. A lot of us blame the pressures of this world and excuse our sin. Oh, I wouldn't have beeped the horn if they didn't—if they knew how to drive. If I could hear the game, I wouldn't have been short with the kids. 
If it wasn't so cold out and miserable out, I wouldn't be so irritable today. And all of a sudden we're blaming things instead of looking at the heart. We'll never change when we do that. We need to look at the source. I want to say that because we're going to look at a man that is absolutely amazing. King Hezekiah. Look at this in 2 Kings 18.5. It says here, and we learn this about him, he trusted in the Lord. Now, this is wonderful to think about because he relied on God. You say, so what's so important about that? Wasn't there a lot of kings that relied on God? Not like him. He's one of a kind. It says here, he, he relied and he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him and among the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. So really, we, we, there's some that were really great. We look at King Uzziah and Jehoshaphat and all that, that really trusted in the Lord. But you look at King Hezekiah, there is no one like him. He's one of a kind. You know, I, when I think of Chalmer, Chalmer is one of a kind. I mean, how many people at 90 years old get a car? I mean, we're taking keys from 90-year-olds. People are giving him keys. He is one of a kind. We'll never meet him. He is one of a kind. One of a kind. And, and King Hezekiah was one of a kind. He, he trusted in God. He relied on God. When the, when the pressures of life, when the hot water came into his life, he relied on God. And we're going to see this in a moment. And look what it says here in verse 6. I love this. For he clung to the Lord. Now, now, now that word clung is an interesting word because it's the same word used of marriage. When a man marries, he must what? Leave his mother and father and do what? Cleave. Clung. There's the word. There's the Hebrew word. The word means to be loyal. To be committed, to stick it out, to, to cleave, to, to, to come together. When somebody clings to another person, when somebody cleaves, it says leave, cleave, and be one. When he clung to the Lord, it means his affections were for the Lord. His loyalty was for the Lord. That's marriage. When somebody gets married, the moment they get married, what they ought to do is they say, okay, now I am committed no matter if they weigh 50 pounds or 500 pounds. No matter if they can see good or they have bifocals later on in life. And then when they have hair and when they lose their hair. Not one amen from the front row. I mean, they, <laughs> none of that matters. What matters is the commitment when you say, I do. And here it is, clung to the Lord, his affections. He was committed to God. Look what it says in verse 6. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. He's an amazing man. He, he, he followed God. He trusted in God. He, his affections were for God. He was committed to God. There was nothing moving him away from God. And he kept his commands, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And look at verse 7. Here we see it again. And the Lord was with them. And wherever he went, what happened? He prospered. And he puts a little side note about his life. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, as we're going to see here in a few moments, how that happened. And he did not serve him. 
So here you have King Hezekiah. There's no one like him before, no one like him after. He trusts in God. He, he clings to God. He, he, he's committed to God. And, and he follows the Lord. He doesn't depart from that. And the Lord is prospering. You say, what did he do? Well, let's look real quickly in 2 Chronicles. I want to show you 2 Chronicles, uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 29, chapter 30 and 31. We're going to look real quickly at three things that he did, and then we're going to get into how he followed God in the midst of it. He, the first thing that he does is he consecrates of the temple. You say, what does that mean? Well, look at this in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3. Watch this. In the first year of his reign. Are you ready for this? The first year of his reign. In the first month. You say, what is he going to do when he finally becomes king? Because he was reigning with his father. What does he do? The first year of his reign. In the first month. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. You say, Jeremy, why is this important? Because his father closed the house of the Lord. And what does he do? He opens the house of the Lord. You know why? Because he realizes we are going to be nothing for God if we don't have true worship of God. And really the first thing that Hezekiah does is he doesn't follow in the footsteps of his father. He said, I'm not going to be like my father who closed the doors of the temple. I'm going to open them up. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that they can have sacrifices again. And I'm going to make sure that they can have singing again and worship again. He, he, he focuses on that first, first year of the first month. He opens them up. This is amazing. After that, we see in chapter 29, there's burnt sacrifices. There's amazing. He cleanses and restores the temple. They have these, these uh, singing. They're worshiping again. And now they're back to worshiping God. Wow, that's amazing. First thing he does. Look at the second thing he does here. He, he has a celebration of the Passover. You say, why is that important? Well, imagine a church with no communion and no Lord's Supper. You say, well, we have it. Some people think it's ritual. Why do we even do it? Well, it's important because we remember where we were and we remember who we are and we remember by God's grace what Jesus did for us during the, during the crucifixion. He died for our sins. He was buried and He rose again and we're thinking about how we're free from the power of sin. Well, the Passover was the same thing. They were remembering how they were freed from the slavery of Egypt and they celebrated and so here's what he does. Even though the nation is divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, he calls them all out. He says, we need to worship the Passover. Why don't you come? We're going to celebrate the Passover. Look at the reactions here. This is amazing. He sends out people in Second Chronicles 30 verse 10. He sends out people. And look, it says, so the couriers passed from city to city through the country. And it mentions a few places, Ephraim, uh, Manasseh, and Zebulun, whatever that is. But look what they did. They laughed at them. And they mocked them. Can you imagine calling somebody and saying, hey, next week we're having communion service and they start laughing on the phone and saying, what are you doing? Who cares about communion? Who cares? These are supposedly God's people. And they can care less. Amazing thing happened in one of my coaching uh, this week on Thursday. Four of the kids who can care less about God, they, they started to hold hands and they said, Hey, coach, will you pray with us? Will you pray with us? 
And so <laughs> I was shocked. I'm like, you wanted me to pray with Yeah, yeah, come here, pray with us, coach. So I went and I started praying. But as I'm praying, one of them could not stop laughing, mocking God. Or maybe ashamed of laughing. I don't know what it was. Just laughing. Laugh, oh, yee. And I'm, I'm sharing the gospel. When they asked me to pray, they're getting the gospel. You better believe they're getting the gospel. I'm praying the gospel. I'm praying. I'm, I'm praying. Some of them mocking. Some of them were impressed. It was amazing. Look at the different responses. Some of them laughed. Some of them mocked. Look at this in verse 11. Nevertheless, some of them humbled themselves. And they came to Jerusalem. And I love this in verse 12. The hand of God was on them. The hand of God was on Judah and gave them what? One heart to do with the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. They're about to have a revival here. The hand of God is working on them. It gives them one heart to worship God. And here's what's amazing. They're celebrating the Passover for seven days. They couldn't get enough of it. They said, we need another week of it. And so they celebrate the past two weeks. Now, that's not going to happen much in the American church. I haven't heard yet in the American church after I'm done preaching. Can we have another sermon? People are like, well, uh, they're out of here. Well, one of my friends, he just, he just texted me uh, the other day. He said this. He goes, I just got done teaching. He's in Peru. And as I'm done, he's exhausted. He's been doing it all day. They asked for two more hours. Wow, man, that exciting. No, that one, the person, amen. I'm excited. He's thinking about that. Nobody's going to do that here. I know that. They're having a revival. They are so excited about God that they want another week. The hand of God is upon them. They want to worship God. And, 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 and it's amazing. This is not just an emotional revival. Because let me just tell you what a true revival is. A true revival leads to resolve, not just emotions. Have you ever noticed how people go to camp, and I, I love camp, and they come back all excited, but after about a month, camp wears off. You ever been to the beach and get a nice tan? And then in about two weeks, what happens? The tan starts to wear off. Same thing happens when we get exposed to the Word of God and get excited about the Word of God. If we don't make resolve, it'll never stick. And so here's what they do. They, this is true revival. You say, how do you know? Look at uh, chapter 31, verse 1. Here it is. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down, pulled down the high places, as well as Ephraim and Manasseh, until they destroyed them all. You know what they did? They came back and they said, we're done with the idols. We are done with the idols. We're going to worship our God. I love that. Boy, King Hezekiah is leading them in all this. He leads, he gets the temple doors open. He gets the revival going. The people are so excited. The hand of God is on them. It's amazing what the hand of God is working in. They're cutting down, they're breaking down the idols. They have resolve. They really want to serve God. They want to live for God. He says, I got to keep this up. I can't let this end. So in chapter 31, what he does is he, he takes care of the priests and the Levites. He puts them back where they need to be. And he says, you guys are going to support them. You guys are going to take care of them. We're going to have spiritual leaders in our lives that lead us to God. What a king. He said, Jeremy, what is it about him that makes him like no one else? Look at this right here in this next verse here in Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 20. 
Look at this. This is amazing. I love this. Second Chronicles 31, verse 20. Now don't miss this. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. May, may God help us to do that. What is good, what is right, what is true before the Lord our God. Now watch this in verse 21. Every work which he began in the service of the house of the Lord, in law and in commandment seeking his God, he did what? With all his heart. You see that? He didn't just serve God. He did it with all his heart. He gave God his best. He gave God everything he had, all his heart. And that's what God wants of us. You know, I, 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 tell, I tell the kids when they go out there and they, 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 they hit the ball, whatever, just give it your best. Go out there and give it all you got. That's all that we could ever ask for. And here's what he did. He did what was right, what was true, and he did it with all his heart. Everything inside of him gave God his very best. He opened up the doors of the temple. He got them celebrating the Passover again. And he gave them the priests and the Levites and put them and took care of them. He says, we're going to have a revival and we're going to continue to live for God. You say, well, God must be pleased with him. God must bless this man in a great way. Watch, this is beautiful. Want to know his reward for faithfulness? Are you ready for this? God gives him a new house, a new car, and a new job. <laughs> Watch what God does. Second Chronicles 32, verse 1. And after these acts of faithfulness, the king of Assyria, I'm not even going to try to say his name, king of Assyria came and what? Invaded Judah. Wait, am I reading this? Invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself? You mean that his reward for faithfulness was a trial? That goes against everything. The, the health and wealth and all the preachers that are preaching out there, they just say, just be faithful to God. Just give God your best and you're going to get the best from God. Yes. And the karma th uh, theology that Christians have, just do good and karma, you'll have good come back to you. This blows that away. Because here is a guy that gave God his whole heart who clung to the Lord, who did everything for God. And what happens? He has a tremendous trial come into his life. I'm here to tell you that oftentimes the reward for faithfulness is a serious trial. Sometimes we stir the hornet's nest when we try to live for God. Sometimes things don't go our way. And it's not because God is mad or because we've sinned. It's because God is putting that hot water just to see what will be in our hearts. Yeah, how many of you guys remember this guy, Joseph Kennedy? Not the Joe Kennedy of the president, but the Joseph Kennedy. Anybody know him? He's on the news now. You say, what did he do? Here's a high school. Guess what they call him? They call him the praying coach. That's a great term. I, I hope I get the praying coach. You know what he did? He became a high school coach. And he said, you know, he didn't want to do it. He said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And he had this tradition. He goes to the 50-yard line after every game, and he just bows down, and he thanks God for the game. He did that for seven years. 
until the school stepped in and they told him this, you cannot pray on the 50-yard line. You cannot. Other people following you, this is separation of church and state. You are wrong. You cannot pray. Stop. He says, I am not going to stop. After every game, and this is his prayer. He just goes, it's a 30-second prayer. Thank you, Lord, for what we learned, and thank you for allowing me to be the coach. The school stopped him. The school fired him for praying. You know his reward for faithfulness? Now he can't even be a coach. Now he can't even be with the kids that he loves. Now he doesn't even have... And so he's fighting it. Now it's gone to the Supreme Court and we don't know what's going to happen here just because he prayed. So oftentimes our reward for faithfulness is not this great things that happen to us and we get everything we want. Oftentimes it's a trial. Something may happen to our lives. So here's the question. How do I respond to that? Well, thanks for asking. We're going to see here, right, from King Hezekiah. You're going to, this, is, this is incredible. How do we follow God during the crises of life? We're going to walk right through this real quick. Look at this in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 2 to 3. How does he respond? Now, when Hezekiah saw that this guy, whatever, how you pronounce his name, had come and that he had intended to make war on Jerusalem, what does he do? He develops a simple plan of action. I like this. He decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city and they helped him. And so his first response to this amazing trial here after he, he got in the flesh and he tried to buy this guy off, but he couldn't do it. So he said, I got I to really start trusting God. So he develops a simple plan of action. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off the water. I'm going to rebuild the walls. I'm going to reorganize the army. I'm going to get it done. Boom. And what does God want us to do? A simple plan of action. Develop a simple plan of it. What, what steps are we going to take to follow the Lord during this trial? Uh, meeting with Chalmers' family yesterday. They said, now what do we do? If he gets out of the hospital, how do we do? Now, what, what, how are we going to handle this? Short term, long term, how are we going to take care? How are we going to do this? They have developing a simple plan of action. That's what he does. Nothing super spiritual about that. Look at the next thing he does. He focuses on the person and power of God. I love this. Watch this. Second Chronicles 32, verses 7 and 8. It says, be strong. Now he's talking to the military. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with them. Why? Look at this line. Isn't this beautiful? For the one with us is greater than the one with him. Where's his focus? The one with us is greater than the one with him. You see that? He's not focusing on the big army and all the armies coming. He's focusing on the one God. He says the one with us is greater than the one with him. And then he says this in verse 8. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And, and the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. I never forget talking to my grandmother um, and telling her one time, Grandma, I, we lost a car. I don't know what to do. You know, you know, we're trying to, we're praying about getting the car back and we can't get the car back. And I'll never forget her words. She said, Jeremy, you got God. 
I'm like, thank you for reminding me about that. And here's what Hezekiah is telling the people. Uh, you got God. You got God on your side. You got the one that is greater than all these. Focus on the very person and power of God. Don't focus on all the things that are coming. You got God on your side. Now watch this. Does that help? Look at this. All of a sudden, this king is relentless and he tries to have them believe the lies of the devil. And we need to refuse to believe the lies of the devil. Look at this here. He says this in verse 10. This is amazing. On what are you trusting? People may tell you got God. But when you're dealing with serious issues in life, it's very hard to trust. And you start hearing those words. What are you trusting in? I mean, you got God, but are you really trusting in God? And, and he's saying this, this king goes, what are you trusting? Tell me what you're trusting on and remaining in Jerusalem. How can you be trusting in God and you're under siege? How, how, tell me, it doesn't add up. You, tr you say you're trusting. You're not really trusting in God. You're not, you're not doing that. Look at verse 11. Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and by thirst? I mean, come on. He, I mean, he, he's not going to help. The Lord our God's going to deliver. He's not going to deliver you guys. Look at, the, look at the lies that come into our minds. Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places on his altars and said to Jude and Jerusalem, you shall worship before one altar? You know what he's saying here? He's saying, you're going to put all your eggs in a basket. We have many gods. You have one God. You're, you're trusting in that one God? You have one altar. You're going to worship. Come on, you, this God's not going to help you. Look at verse 13. Do you not know... What I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands, where are those gods helping them? They're not helping them. Were, there, were those gods able to help them and deliver them from my hand? Do you know who I am? Where are the other gods help? No other god has helped. You think your god's going to help? Come on. Look at this, verse 14. Who was there among all the gods of those nations which my fathers utterly destroyed who could deliver his people out of my hand? That your god should be able to deliver you from my hand. Look at the lies of the devil. Look at the lies that come into our minds. How can God deliver us? How can God help us? There's no way. Look at verse 15. He says this, Now therefore do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you like this. And look at this, Do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from the hand or from the or from the hand of my father, from my hand or from the hand of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? And I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of the hot water, I hear those words in my mind. Do you really think that God's going to help you out of this one, Jeremy? Do you really think he's going to, I mean, you preach it, you talk about it. Do you really believe it? Do you really think it's going to happen? There's no way. Look at that what happened. Look, look what's happening in the world. Look what's going on. There's no way this is going to happen. And I start to believe these things. I start to think about it. I start to think maybe I am a failure. Maybe God isn't going to help me. Maybe, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe, 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 and start to believe these lies. And, and here he is just telling them lie after lie after lie. So how did the people respond to it? I love this. But the people were silent. Look at this. 
Because 2 Kings 18 and 2 Chronicles 32 go together. 2 Kings 18 tells us this. But the people were silent and answered him, what? Not a word. You want to know sometimes the best response to a trial? Is no response. Sometimes we want to fight with the people who are causing us problems. And let me just tell you, you want to fight, there are people out there looking for a fight. There are people on social media fighting with one another like crazy, coming back and forth, back and forth. But the people here did not say what? A word. You know when Jesus was there and standing before Pilate and they made all these false accusations, do you know how Jesus responded? The Bible says he did not say a word. They were like, what in the world? They, they were unbelievable. There are times in our lives when we just need not to get into the battle and just leave it alone. And the king's commandment was, don't answer them. Don't do it. Don't get into that fight. Don't go there. I have a lot of my pastor friends sometimes call me, what do I do? So-and-so said this on social media about me. Don't respond on social media. Don't go on down that path. Don't be fighting with one another. We get those every week almost at our church on our social media. People put these responses about, I'm just inviting them to church. One of them put the praise Satan on our, our, our Facebook page. Praise Satan. Don't even respond to those people. Don't respond. There's a time when the best response is no response and the people had no response. But then, look at King Hezekiah. I love this. Second Kings 19. Watch this. He lays your burdens before the Lord. Then King Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord. Now watch this. And he spread it out before the Lord. What a wonderful... Here's, here's a threatening letter that he got from the king of Assyria. And, and he's reading the letter. And he gets the letter and he takes the letter and he goes before the house of the Lord. And he goes in the house of the Lord. And he puts out the letter. And he spread it before God. What a wonderful picture of how do we cast our burdens upon God. He spread it out before the Lord. He said, Lord, here it is. You, you see what he's saying? Do you see what he thinks is going to happen? Lord, do you understand what I'm going through right now? Here's the letter that he wrote me. Right here, God, I lay it before you. What a wonderful way to handle our problems before the Lord. He spread it out. Watch this. And he starts talking about God. He says, and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And he said, oh, Lord, the God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim. You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. And he tells him in verse 16, incline, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words which he has sent to reproach the living God. And truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. He knows that what has happened. They have, and they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone, so that they have destroyed them. But watch this. He says in verse 19, Now, O Lord, o our God, I pray, deliver us from the hand. Here's why. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. That's a prayer. 
I never forget when I was trying to go from New York City to Iowa and I was trying to transfer FedEx jobs. And my boss, my, one of my bosses said, yeah, I think you should do it. But the main boss didn't want me to go. And so I sent the package to the wrong place. That happens, by the way, with FedEx guys. And we sent it to the wrong place. And uh, I get this letter. And in the letter says, we're putting you on probation because you sent the package to the wrong place. You cannot transfer anywhere right now. I was devastated. I, I, I took the letter. I cried out to the Lord. I went before the main boss of the station. He grabs the letter. And I was in there and I was going to tell him, I'm resigning. I'm going to Iowa no matter what you say. But I walk into the office. He looks at the letter. He says, one package? You just sent one package somewhere else? We would never win this. Don't worry about it. Psh, psh, psh. You can transfer. I was like, wow, thank you, Lord. They set me up so I couldn't transfer. God took care of it. Watch this. One prayer, he goes before God. He says, Lord, I want all the kingdoms of the earth to know that you alone are God. And God answers this prayer. He says this. He, he, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about mm -hmm, mm -hmm, king of Assyria, I have heard you. <laughs> so how does he respond? Verse 2 Chronicles 32, 21. This is amazing. The Lord sent an angel and destroyed every mighty warrior. Are you ready for this? Every 185,000 wiped out one prayer. Wow, that's a powerful prayer. He wipes them all out, 185,000. Wipes them out, commander and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returns in shame to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, watch what happens. Some of his own children killed him there with the sword. Oh, holy cow. So God wipes out the army, wipes him out too. Don't mess with God. And so the question is here, what is your reward for faithfulness and how do you respond when the trials come? Because the hot water comes and all of a sudden it reveals in our hearts just how unchristlike we really are. So don't think for a moment that if you're just faithful and give God your best, everything is going to turn out right. It won't. But here's what's amazing. When the pressures come, we can respond right by God's grace. Develop a little simple plan. Focus on the, the person of God. Lay out your burdens before God. And let the chips fall where they may because God knows what He's doing by His grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the amazing example of Hezekiah. And there's more to the story at the end when he got became sick and You gave him 15 more years and, and he didn't respond well to that. And Lord, we know that he was just a human. 
But God, I pray that we would respond to the pressures of life in a way that honors you. And Lord, we wouldn't react as we often do in ways that don't honor you because we want the world to know that you're an amazing God. So help us, O Lord. Help us to realize that this week, if we get up in the morning, have our devotions, pray to you, cast our burdens upon you, that doesn't mean everything's going to go right. Help us not to to treat you that way and to expect those things that we deserve everything to go right in our lives. Help us to realize that you often send trials, not because you're mad at us, but to help us to be all that you want us to be. So thank you for that. We love you and need you and praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.